All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here, um, and also to those of you who are on the live stream this morning. So, now that we've celebrated Easter, we're going to start a new series, which I have brilliantly titled, After Easter, <laughs> where we are going to be looking at some of the events that happened right after the resurrection. And you might not know this, but the book of Acts tells us that Jesus was on earth in his resurrected body for 40 days. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot about what Jesus did during those 40 days. We get a very cursory overview in Acts chapter 1. Uh, it tells us that after his suffering, he showed himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So, not a lot of information there, but we get a general sense of what he was up to. Uh, we also know from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that at one point, Jesus appeared to 500 witnesses at the same time. So, he did not just reveal himself to the apostles, but many more people as well. So, we get a few details, but I wish we had more. Uh, but we, we do learn about a couple of events that happen during that 40-day period. And the one we're going to look at today is probably the most well-known one. It's the story of Doubting Thomas. Uh, well, he's often called Doubting Thomas. I don't know if that's fair to call him that, but um, that's what he's come to be known as. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together around your word, around your table, around worship. And uh, Lord, we just invite you to work in our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to be open to whatever it is you want to teach us. Um, Lord, may your spirit move in and among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now hopefully you remember from the passage we looked at last week that on the first Easter night, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He appeared in a locked room and he said, peace be with you. And the disciples were all startled because they thought he was a ghost. Uh, but then Jesus demonstrated to them that he was actually flesh and blood. He ate something in front of them, which is further evidence that he was actually physically present in front of them. But here we find out that one of the 11 disciples was not there, Thomas. Uh, why wasn't he there? I don't know. Maybe he picked the wrong time to go to the bathroom. Uh, maybe he went out to get some food. Uh, maybe... He was very introverted compared to the other disciples, and he needed some alone time. Uh, maybe he needed some time to process you know, what had happened with Jesus being crucified and these reports from the women that the tomb was empty. Maybe, maybe he just needed to think alone. I don't know. We don't know. But uh, the other disciples come to him, and they say, Hey, we saw Jesus. We have seen the Lord. So Thomas says to them, 
Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So Thomas is not content to just go on the testimony of the other disciples. He wants to have a personal encounter with the risen Christ himself. And if he, he says if he doesn't, he's not going to believe. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I think that Thomas is somebody that a lot of us can relate to. Most followers of Jesus at some point in their walk of faith experience doubt. They start asking questions like, is this really real? Is Jesus really risen from the dead? Is Jesus really Lord? For some people, those doubts are short-lived. They're just kind of momentary blips in the brain. Uh, for other people, they are more chronic. And for some people, they're very, very severe, uh, enough so that they, they end up walking away from the faith or never accepting the faith in the first place. And so as I reflected on this passage this week, I asked myself, what might the Holy Spirit be trying to tell us about doubt and, and what to do with it? And as I thought about that, there was one phrase from this story that really stood out to me that I never noticed before. A week later. A week later. Now that's why we can have this message as part of our After Easter series. Because when the risen Jesus appeared to Thomas, it was a week after the other 11 disciples, or the other 10 disciples, saw him. Right. One week later. Now if you're like me, that raises the question, okay, well why did Jesus wait that long? Why didn't he just immediately appear right after the disciples said, we saw him, and then Thomas said, oh, well, unless I, unless I see him myself, I won't believe. Why didn't then Thomas just turn around and see Jesus right there? Why do you wait a week? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Last week, I talked about how if you were making up a story, this is not the kind of story you would make up. And I think this detail is another reason to recognize that. You know, if I was making up a story, I don't see why I would insert this week between Thomas hearing about Jesus being risen from the dead and then Thomas actually experiencing Jesus risen from the dead. What would be the point of that? Other than that's just actually what happened. So Jesus waits a week to appear to Thomas. We don't know why. We can't know why. But that's what he did. And so maybe if we're doubting or somebody that we love is doubting, we need to think of that experience that they're having as being in the middle of that week that Thomas was going through. They're having this experience of being somewhere between hearing about Jesus is risen and experiencing Christ. And maybe if we keep that in mind, it will help us to be patient. Right, to be patient and trust that when the time is right, 
Christ will reveal himself to that person who is doubting. A week later. We don't know how long their week will be, right? But maybe sometimes we just need to patiently trust. But I think this story also suggests that if we want to experience Jesus in a personal way, there's something else we can do rather than just patiently wait. If we want to experience Jesus in a way that drives out our doubt, there's something else we can do. We can remain in community. Okay, if you're taking notes, this is something I recommend writing down. We can remain in community with those who have already experienced Jesus. Notice, Thomas stays in the company of people who believe, right? And that means that the other disciples, the believers, they didn't kick him out of the community. And Thomas did not choose to remove himself from the community, right? They remained in community. And that was probably difficult. I wonder if during that week they had a lot of fights about this, you know? Why don't you believe us? You think we're all just making this up? I just can't believe it unless I see it, you know? They might have had late-night debates about whether or not uh, the other disciples had really seen Jesus. So it must have been hard to stay in community, but they did. They did. Unfortunately, in some churches, people who doubt don't feel like they can stay in community. Or they, do, they just don't stick around. Now, sometimes that's just because they don't want to. They just don't want to be there, right? But sometimes it's because they're genuinely not welcome. Right? Sometimes it's because when they start to voice what they're thinking or feeling, um, they're perceived as a threat. And they, at, in the worst scenarios, they actually experience outright hostility and contempt. And so they leave. And in those situations, maybe if the believers around them had been a little bit more patient, if they had been a, a little more willing to think of that person as being somewhere in that doubting Thomas week, then maybe they would have stuck around long enough to actually have an encounter with Jesus and to move from doubt to faith. Now, I remember back when I was just out of college and I was working in campus ministry at UConn, uh, I became friends with a guy who came to faith through this church. Uh, this church was pretty young at the time. Um, and his story was very interesting. He was a Doubting Thomas type. If you had asked him, he probably would have identified as an agnostic. And he had friends that went to this church. And one of them was the worship leader. And the worship leader knew that this guy was a really good drummer. And one week they didn't have a drummer. They were in a pinch. So the worship leader invited this guy to play drums, even though he's a Doubting Thomas. He's an agnostic. And he came, he played, he did a great job, he enjoyed it, they invited him back, he kept playing. And he told me that through that experience, over time, he met God. And he reached a point where he said, I want to be baptized. I remember I went to his baptism at St. Paul's. And um, so he would tell you that the fact that this community welcomed in this doubter was absolutely instrumental in him encountering Christ. Jude one twenty two says, Be merciful to those who doubt. I like that. 
And that's what happened to my friend at this church. He was shown mercy, even though he doubted, and eventually his doubt turned to faith. So, staying in community with those who have experienced Jesus, with those who believe, that's one thing that can help doubters. But, you know, sometimes Jesus gets doubters' attention even outside of Christian community. And uh, I'll share an example of that that I heard about recently that was very moving to me. So, one of my favorite musicians since high school is this guy named Mark Bird. And uh, Mark was the lead singer and songwriter for a Christian rock band in the 90s called Common Children. I still listen to Common Children to this day. Common Children was never very popular, which, as far as I'm concerned, is evidence that they were actually one of the good ones. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Mark produced these Common Children albums in the late 90s, early 2000s. They weren't making any money, so he gave it up. And... Um, I think it was in 2003, he helped to produce a worship album. And he contributed a song to it called God of Wonders. Is anyone familiar with this song, God of Wonders? And that song, he said he felt like he was just offering the song up to the wind, like every other song that he throws out there. But this one actually caught on. And to this day, churches are still singing uh, God of Wonders 18 years later. Um, and he said, because of that song, my wife and I have never been in debt since then. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, he, he had, that was probably his, his most lucrative uh, musical accomplishment. And then in the fi last 15 years or so, his, ma his major musical project has been this duo called Hammock that makes this word wordless, ambient kind of soundtrack music. And I, I like Hammock a lot. I recommend them if you want some relaxing, reflective kind of, of music. But anyway, because Mark Bird has always been somebody whose music I've appreciated for decades now, I've always been curious about him. Who is he? Like, what inspires him? What's his spiritual journey been like? And so every couple of, of uh, months, maybe twice a year or something like that, I'll Google Mark Bird interview. And usually I get nothing. And, uh, but recently, a couple weeks ago, I did it, and I actually found a 90-minute long interview with him. I was overjoyed. And it did not disappoint at all. Uh, he, he told his story. He told it uh, very honestly. And what I learned from that interview was that Mark Bird went through a very long Doubting Thomas week himself. It was more like a Doubting Thomas decade. Uh, maybe even longer than that. And I don't have time to get into all the reasons for why that was. Um, but he said in that interview that about six years ago, his doubt became so severe that if someone had asked him what he believed, he would have said, I think the most likely thing is that there is no God and all this is meaningless. And uh, I'm trying to produce beautiful music, but I feel like I'm just screaming into the void. That was the way he put it. So that was six years ago. And around that time, Mark started feeling this tug to do a silent retreat uh, at a monastery in California, in, uh, at Big Sur in California. 
And so he planned this trip to go on a silent retreat. He wasn't sure why he was doing it. He just felt a tug to do it, to just go somewhere and be in silence. Now, Mark had developed a very severe drinking problem. And he had intended to stop drinking for a few days before the retreat, just so he'd be able to be clear-headed for it. And he did not stop drinking several days before the retreat. He drank the night before he was supposed to go on the retreat. So he's only several hours out of alcohol withdrawal. And he's at the airport, and he's got the shakes, and he feels sick. And he thinks, I should just call my wife, tell her to come and pick me up. I can't do this. I can't. And as he's thinking that, he starts overhearing a conversation near him. And he realizes there's an Orthodox priest standing there talking to a friend. And the Orthodox priest is giving a lecture to this guy on the, the value of silence for spiritual health. And he thought, here I am, about to, go, about to abandon going on a silent retreat. And I'm randomly in the airport hearing this Orthodox priest give a lecture on why you should go to silent retreats. <laughs> and uh, so he was like, all right, I guess I'll just try and stick it out. So he goes, and he spends three days basically alone in silence. And he said in the interview, he, he said to the interviewer, you have to understand that at this point, I was done with Christian stuff. That was the way he put it. I, I thought, that's in my past now. I'm more into like Zen stuff, Buddhism, that sort of thing. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with that. I was not expecting anything from God. And he said on, on the third night, he went outside. He went and he, he sat on a rock. And I'll, I'll read how he describes what, what happened. Um, something happened to him. He said, I was so overwhelmed with just this quiet sense of like that it wasn't impersonal cosmic goo around me. It was like a personal thing. And it was love. And I began to weep. And I wept and I wept. And the thing that fell out of my mouth spontaneously was I'm so sorry that I've forgotten you. And man, I don't even know how to talk about it. Words fail. I hear in those words something similar to Thomas encountering Christ and saying, My Lord and my God. Now for Mark, that experience was part of his recovery. Um, from, uh, from alcohol, he's, he's still in recovery. Um, and that, that process included a return to faith in Christ and um, re-engaging with, with a church community. Now, why did Christ become real to Mark in that moment when he hadn't felt real for so long? Maybe it was because he made space for silence. Maybe it was because he managed to stop drinking for a few days. Maybe. But I don't know for sure. I don't think anyone knows for sure. Just as we can't say for sure why Jesus appeared to Thomas when he did, why he didn't do it sooner, why he didn't do it later, we don't know. 
There's an unpredictability to God's ways. But whatever the case, I think Mark's story should remind us that sometimes doubters do experience God. And so if people we love are doubting, we should be patient. If we ourselves struggle with doubt, we should be patient. God might not feel real to you right now, but many people have felt that way. And one day they have felt overwhelmed by the presence of God, like Mark. And I can't promise that you're going to have an experience like that. Again, there is an unpredictability to God's ways. But Jesus did say, those who seek, find. Sometimes I think even those who are not seeking, find, in God's grace. But he did say, those who seek, find. And sometimes we might think that those who are doubting aren't really seeking. But I think there's a a kind of doubt that's a healthy kind of doubt, which is actually part of the process of genuinely seeking. There are unhealthy forms of doubt that are just about a refusal to believe. But there are some forms of doubt that are actually propelling people forward towards the truth to seek. Those who seek, find. All right, let's look at the last thing Jesus said in our passage. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And what is Jesus saying there? Well, he's really talking to us there. Right? That's for us. He's saying, you are blessed if you can believe that I am risen, even though you haven't had an experience like Thomas's, even though you haven't seen me literally in the flesh right in front of you face to face. If you can believe without seeing that, you're blessed. Maybe as you've been listening this morning, you've been thinking, well, I want to have an experience of the resurrected Jesus like the disciples did and like Thomas did. You know, I I want to experience God the way Mark Bird did. I want to have that overwhelming, life-changing experience. Now, it is not wrong to want that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to put yourself in a position to experience that or to make it more likely that you will experience that. Whether that is by remaining in Christian community with those who have also experienced Christ um, or whether it's by doing something like going on a silent retreat, something like that. Nothing wrong with wanting that experience and for um, to some degree seeking that experience. But what Jesus is saying here is you are blessed if you are able to listen to someone else's experience of me and take that seriously. You are blessed if you are able to listen to somebody else's experience of me and take that seriously. Now you might be wondering, because this is what I think when I hear that, well, is Jesus saying that it is virtuous to believe without evidence? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what he's saying is that we need to recognize that the experiences that people have are evidence. They are significant evidence. You know, a lot of the time, if someone tells us about an experience that they've had, and it doesn't match with our expectations or our own experience, what do we do? We dismiss it. We try to throw it out. 
And honestly, I think that that's one of the reasons why conversations around politics and race and that sort of thing are so difficult right now because people are so unwilling to take seriously the experiences of someone whose experiences are different than them, you know? But we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to listen to one, one another because God has set up a world such that none of us has all the experiences, right? We all have unique experiences, and the only way that we learn is by listening to each other, and that's part of what God wants us to do, to really listen to one another. Now, you and I might not have an experience exactly like Thomas or Mark Bird, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn from those experiences. That doesn't mean that their experiences shouldn't play a role in moving us from doubt to faith. We are blessed if we can learn from them. You know, it occurred to me this week that there's a sense in which all of us are in our own Doubting Thomas week. Because we're all living in that in-between space between hearing that Jesus is risen and then actually meeting him face to face. Right? We're in that in-between time between Christ's first coming and his return. So we're all in a Doubting Thomas week, right? And as we are in that week, Jesus says to us, Blessed are you who have not seen, but have believed. In other words, if you want to experience joy and peace, believe in the resurrection. Trust that Christ has overcome death. Trust the testimony of the apostles. Don't just dismiss. You will find life in doing that. You will find hope in doing that. You will find blessing in doing that. So, if you feel like a doubting Thomas, try trusting the, the testimony of the apostles. Last week I talked about like evidence-based reasons for believing, and those matter, right? But this week I want to encourage us, try to really listen to the testimony of the apostles, to the testimonies of people who have experienced God, experienced his transforming power in their lives. Listen to that. Don't dismiss that. Hear it out. Choose to have hope in the resurrection, even if you're doubting. And then see if you experience the blessing that Christ talks about there as you do that. Because I believe you will. Let's pray. Lord, for any of us who might be dealing with doubt, for any of us who might be listening, who feel like they've never believed, Lord, I pray that this morning your spirit would stir in us. Lord, I do pray that we might have experiences like Thomas, like Mark Bird, like so many others, Lord. If we feel like we've never had an experience like that, I pray that we might, Lord. But Lord, I also pray that we would recognize that so often uh, we experience you as a still, quiet voice. That sometimes you come as a powerful whisper. Lord, help us to attend to that whisper. Lord, I pray that our doubt would be replaced with faith that any doubt that we have would lead us to honestly seek, and that as we seek, we would find you. Lord, may we trust in the resurrection, 
and experience the blessing that comes from that. In Jesus' name, amen.